Hi there, I'm Marianne Lozano, President of the Broadleaf Board of Directors and the Conference Chair for the 9th Annual Broadleaf Writers Conference. This year, our conference will be held Saturday and Sunday, September 21st and 22nd at the Decatur Library in Decatur, Georgia. The 9th Annual Broadleaf Writers Conference offers two days of panels, workshops, one-on-one -on -one pitch and mentoring sessions, a first pages critique, opportunities to meet and chat with our guest authors and literary agents, and plenty of time to spend with a community of fellow writers in attendance. We strive to attract top-level speakers, both with a track record of success in the industry, as well as those just beginning their careers, with the capacity and desire to help writers on their path to publication. This year, we're thrilled to be headlined by New York Times best-selling author Mary Kay Andrews. Registration for the 9th Annual Broadleaf Writers Conference opens May 1st, so be sure to save the date. To learn more about our conference, I hope you'll visit our website at broadleafwriters.com. See you this fall. Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of Right Now, a podcast on the craft and business of writing presented to you by Broadleaf Writers Association based in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm your host, Zachary Steele, and on today's episode, I am beyond thrilled to welcome a Southern icon to the program, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of Serena, Saints at the River, The World Made Street, and many, many more, Ron Rash. Hey, Ron, how you doing? I'm good, Zach. Good to be with you. No, I really appreciate you taking some time out and, and giving us a good talk here on writing. I, I could probably ask you a thousand questions um, and, and talk on for a while, but um, I wanted to kind of begin this whole thing sort of with the beginning of the book. Um, you have you've mentioned before that you don't outline, and I wanted to know if you design an endpoint when you start or does the story or the characters themselves influence the direction you go yeah yeah i i don't outline um i always just kind of i usually start with an image actually um uh, just about every novel i've written or I, every novel i can remember has it almost has this controlling image that i kind of run with uh, i don't know where it's going uh which is uh, you know kind of scary i think mm -hmm. In some ways, it would be a lot less stressful to be a writer who did outline. Yeah. But also, I think it's those moments when the characters surprise me or surprise, uh, you know, surprise me. And then the reader uh, uh, reveals something unexpected, unexpected mm -hmm. even to the writer, that, that yeah. those moments really kind of uh, make the story more interesting. So, yeah, I always kind of uh, want, want to let the story go where it wants to go. Okay. Um, now, is that is that something that developed over just the years of learning the craft, or you know, was there ever a point in time where you tried to outline and just didn't like it? Yeah. Well, that's that's uh, when I first started writing. I, I I did do that when I first started attempting short stories, and and uh, what I found for me was that they became very mechanical. Mm -hmm. uh, it was almost like okay, I know exactly where this story is going, and it kind of put me on a track. Yeah. where uh i couldn't really make that that movement that those veers away from that and so finally i just yeah i think it was just trying something different um and that that kind of brought me to where I, I i felt more free and open uh i do think certain writers i mean i think we have certain 
things that we we even if they're not true we we want to believe them anyway and mm -hmm. and one that i do is i feel like if i've got a really strong image uh maybe even i think this would be true of a, a, a really vivid character as well for some writers that the, the story is already there uh yeah. michelangelo talked about seeing the completed you know the completed statue being inside the block of marble and i'm not michelangelo but um I do think that sometimes I, I, I do believe that the story will eventually reveal itself. Mm -hmm. I am. I, I'm very big on lists to do this checklists, whatever it is. I, I can't go into the grocery store without a list or I'll completely lose sight of what I want to do. So the prospect of doing this the way you do it kind of terrifies me just a little bit, you know, to just like, I love letting the story go where it wants to go, but, you know, going without a map or a to-do list would be, that'd be a challenge for me. Um, now you, you, you cite like the positives of that in, in that it allows you to let the story go where it's going to go. Um, what are the what are the obstacles or challenges you faced in in that way of doing it? Well, every time I've written a novel about a, usually about a year in, it just seems hopeless. Uh, and I think that's when it's scary that, you know, to have committed that much work and 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 not be able to have a sense that this thing's going to work. That is scary. It's, it is like being on a tightrope. Uh, and with my last novel, The Caretaker, uh, more so than any novel I've done, that one took seven or eight years. And uh, three or four times I gave up completely. It just seemed like it was not working. Well, it wasn't working. It didn't seem mm -hmm. it wasn't working. I actually gave up long enough to write a, a book of short stories and a novella, you know, so I had another book I published during that time. And, um, you know, I gave up on it sometimes six or eight months, but uh, I kept going back. Uh, I did write over a thousand pages. The book's only about 256. So, you know, in a way, I think I'm talking anyone who wants to try this out of doing <laughs> it, but but as, but ultimately it came together and um, you know I, actually I think two of the most powerful moments in the book uh, were ones that I did not find out till about the last year of writing. Yeah, that's um, well, okay, so let's let's take the caregiver since we had such a a, a drastic overwrite versus what it it comes to in the end. Uh, my next question kind of feeds into that as, as as you finish these first drafts and that one in particular, how does the uh, the approach of just letting the story go uh, affect your editing? Uh, well, it yeah, I just actually every novel I write starts off very short. I mean, Serena, which is almost 400 pages, probably the first draft was maybe 60 pages. Hmm. I mean, it was just uh, I, as I tell my students that uh, for me, a first draft is like having a big gob of uh, clay and putting on the, the wheel, the potter, like a potter. And I'll, you know, I just want something I can start playing with, start attempting to shape. Mm -hmm. um, first draft I write as quick as I can. I, I try not to, uh, uh, I really don't worry much about language. I'm just trying yeah. to get something down. And, uh, and, and with each draft, I tend to add uh, and then as I get deeper into it, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh draft, I start to find that places where maybe I start to need cut. Uh, I do mm -hmm. a lot of drafts. I mean, usually with my novels, I mean, with this one, I probably did 25 drafts. Um, wow. Earlier ones, I usually would do like 
10 to 15 full drafts, full drafts. Right. I mean, I'm looking at every word and yeah, that's just how I work. There are writers who can do it quicker and, uh, but I'm just, that's the way it works for me. Right. Do you, do you tend in your edit and in, in, in editing, do you tend to find that you enjoy the adding part or the subtracting part more? Because I know myself personally, I enjoy the adding. I enjoy being able to build out scenes and add sensory details and things to that nature. Yeah, I, I definitely the adding. I mean, what's what's horrific for me is when I've written a, a good scene or a good part of a scene, or maybe a good paragraph, and I realize that, you know, yeah, this is well done, but it doesn't fit this book. And that's where, you know, the Henry James, that you know, idea of having to kill your darlings. And it's always... Mm -hmm. Uh, and and I always have to to be a little you know have to be ruthless with myself because it's so hard to you know particularly if you've written like a character and you realize that character is going to have is not working uh, and take that character out but I think that's just uh, part of what we have to do uh, yeah we have to, we, we we have to kind of shape it and and sometimes you know, for a novel to work, sometimes you have to cut out maybe the most vivid scene in the whole book. Sure. Well, in cutting out um, characters and scenes, do you do you reserve them to possibly use in future work or they just become part of the, uh, you know, the, the graveyard of what once was? Yeah, uh, I think probably on some level, I keep something of them. It might be a scene or something. I, I don't do it consciously, uh, but uh I'm sure in some ways they, they kind of come back at least in some, maybe some different form, but uh, some, you know, a lot of times it's, it just feels like, okay. Uh, I mean, I, for instance, in one of my novels, I did a, a good bit of research for a jazz scene set in uh, uh, New York city. And, and it's actually in a, the book called the cove uh, in 1917. And uh did a lot of research, had an interesting scene, an interesting group of uh, musicians, and and then I realized, no, this this doesn't, this is just taking us away from the story. And so all that research, I mean, but but I think that's one thing we enjoy as writers. I, you know, William Faulkner said curiosity was maybe the most important trait a writer can have, and I mean, it was fun to do that research, but ultimately, it it it, it and I doubt it will ever find any. I'll never find anything really to put in it. Right put it in yeah yeah um well in in your work you you tend to give like a period of time or a place as much weight as you do the characters is that something you intentionally do yeah uh i think uh for me uh place is very important uh i, I really want my reader to feel grounded in a particular place and and to have a sense when finishing a novel that even if the character, the per, the reader's never seen the place, there's a sense that the reader will think that you know she or he will will uh, have felt that place, will have known that place, and so that's important. I also like I'm fascinated with the idea of landscape. Uh, I have a character in my third novel say landscape is destiny, mm -hmm. and I'm fascinated with that concept that the the you know the physical landscape that we grow up in affects us in so many ways uh some some ways we don't even realize uh and for me because i tend to write about the appalachian um i mean i pretty much solely write about the appalachian mountains my family has such deep roots in this region of north carolina you know going back to the 1700s that uh 
I'm fascinated with how that landscape affects um, my characters. Uh, sometimes it can be very uh, positive, a sense of uh, being protected by the mountains, almost womb-like protectiveness. Uh, sometimes, though, it can be oppressive. It can be, uh, as, as I have some characters in, in one of my, or one, particularly in one book, that uh, felt trapped by the mountains uh, and, and, and always feeling so diminished because the mountains are so high and uh, timeless you know, compared mm -hmm. to the fleeting of a human life. So I think those aspects add a level of uh, uh, to a novel. Uh, the time periods, I think, are interesting. I, I, I think one thing that's interesting about novels is that a lot of people read novels even though novels are in a sense lies they 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 read novels to find out uh what it would have been like to be at, at a particular time and place and and i think what what novels can do that uh very you know most history books or or that kind of thing can't do is that they try to get at how would it feel not just the facts but how would it feel to be someone in this situation uh in yeah. this time period and so uh, that that I find interesting, and also how it can you can play off the the present with the past, and and while you're showing the past is different. Uh, what I like to do in my work is also I, I want moments where the reader recognizes that I'm not only writing about the uh, past, but I'm also writing about the present. Right. Well, I'm I'm fascinated by the the depth of family history that you have um, in that one area. That's that is a that is a significant chunk of time and investment in a place. And um, in your stories, how much of that family history or the folklore of the area in which you grew up became part of stories that you wrote? It became a lot. Uh, I mean, it still does. I, I think part of you know my project as a writer has been to try to give a sense of the place pretty much going back, you know, mid 19th century to the present. And, mm. uh, you know, that has been, uh, yeah, my goal. And, and just that, uh, you know, I'm fascinated with the, the the culture, which is, you know, very different from most of the South, uh, even though I, we are technically in the South. Um, but yeah, the folklore and uh, I was, I'm old enough to where I actually was able to spend a lot of time with my, uh, with my relatives who were very grounded in that. Uh, folklore it was very real to them and it what you know that it, it also there's a wisdom in a lot of it uh, for instance my my grandmother would not let me uh uh play in the spring house where you know the source of the water for the for her farmhouse and uh, you know because uh, she did or she wouldn't let me you know bother the salamanders or the crepe you know anything in there uh which you know I kind of wanted to do as a kid but mm -hmm. But uh, part of it really was that she understood that as long as those salamanders and uh, water, they were kind of the guardian spirits, but also ecologically, it made sense because if a minnow or a salamander is, is can live in that water, that means the water's a certain degree of purity. So there was wisdom there, some, mm -hmm. you know, what we might call superstition, but it kind of wed together and in, in, to me, a very interesting way. So shift gears just a little bit and kind of land on characters a little bit. Um, creating a sense of empathy with characters is vital to connecting readers to 
the characters' journeys and therefore to the story itself. Um, do you do you look to infuse a sense of empathy or to to invoke empathy as you go, or is that something that develops through further edits? I think probably as I get deeper, the characters, what I find interesting, I think if you tell this to anybody but writers, uh, people will think you're insane. But uh, the characters, I think for most of them, or a lot of writers, maybe I should just put it that way, become very real. I mean, mm -hmm. we live with them, you know, sometimes much more during the day than we do with other people in our lives. And and uh, I, I found it, it, it's interesting. I think they begin to, to, to see, you begin, as a writer, begin to see the world they do. I mean, because in a sense, mm -hmm. you're, you know, at least attempting to be within their consciousness. And you, if you spend enough time there, I think... Uh, uh, you you start to see the world they do, and and I mean part of that I think what what writers do is that we, unless you're strictly autobiographical writer, you are uh, attempting acts of empathy in the sense of of someone very different from yourself. I mean I love Annie Prue's writing, and she she writes primarily about men, uh, mm -hmm. she, and and yet she uh, enters them and and creates them as as a man I, I can say convincingly. I never have those moments where I think well. Somebody who's not a man's writing this. I mean that, and that to me is uh, one of the beautiful things about uh, art is that ability to to at least imaginatively try to uh, render another character or person uh, very unlike ourselves. Yeah, I um, I've always kind of found the parallel of creating like vibrant characters with depth in writing to method acting. And effectively losing yourself in in those characters, I have I have actually a number of times, when stuck with characters, done a sort of stream of consciousness interview with them, mm -hmm. because I've gotten so deeply in their head that uh, they were able to answer questions that I had that I wasn't able to answer on the page, and it's it's a fascinating process. Yeah, absolutely. I I think we are in a sense attempting the method, and I remember I always remember a quote that Denzel Washington said. I think really keep I keep in mind when I'm writing. Somebody asked what was the key to to his acting, and he has such a broad range. Um, he said I I don't get in the way of the character, mm. and I just that's it. I mean, you know, yeah. in a sense, you get rid of your ego, whatever your thoughts, and you enter completely and try not to bring your own sensibility mm -hmm. yeah and this this loops back to the beginning um you know you talk about letting the characters tell the story and if you're you're truly within them and you truly understand them then they're going to lead the way and therefore you know allow you to write a story without an outline yeah well, yeah. yeah, that's the hope. Yeah, that's that the they, hope will, anyway. they will lead yeah. me. But you know, it's yeah. interesting. That sometimes they seem to have gotten lost in the woods, and and uh, you know, I, I keep hoping they're gonna get us out. <laughs> I guess, I guess there are people who are good with maps and others who aren't. So yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so uh, they just said you got to follow the right one. <laughs> right, but it's uh, you know, it's just it's an it's it's been an interesting life for me. I'm I'm old enough now to where I can kind of look back on the the choices I made to really. Uh, do this and uh to commit to writing and i, I feel like i you know I, I, i've been successful i've been lucky in in many ways much more beyond i would have ever imagined but mm -hmm. uh i do believe that had i not you know really published maybe published just a few places maybe not even a book i i think it would have been worth the journey yeah and yeah. I, we do it ultimately because it 
it completes something in ourselves that their mm. lives are not complete without it. Yeah. You know, well, in your work, you have um, a very notable voice, a very notable tone that you, that you create in every single story. Um, is this something that you always worked with or that it did it, 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 it develop from emulating other writers early in your career? Uh, a lot of it, yeah. I think, like most writers, I think if you go back and look, say, at uh, William Faulkner's early work, you'll you'll see the influence of particularly Sherwood Anderson. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think most writers. But yeah, I mean, when I was first writing, I, I could you could have looked at what I was writing and and told who I was reading that that week. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, one week I'd have short sentences like Hemingway, and then maybe. The next week, I would have um, paragraph long Faulknerian sentences, but I was learning to trade, and um, I mean, I'm not the first to say this, uh, but uh, I think what what the way we find our voices, the way writers find voice, is puts all those writers that we've read. It's almost like a stew. And they go in, and a little bit of uh, Tony Morrison, a little bit of Faulkner, a little bit of Thomas Hardy, whatever. And uh, we kind of stir all that up. And then we have that part of ourselves, you know, that whatever it is that makes us have a a, 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 a single vision, you know, and mm -hmm. and you stir all that up and 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 your voice arises out of it. Uh, it's, yeah. I think that's the way probably it is with most art. Uh, yeah. you, know, you you imitate first and you learn the craft and and then out of that uh, ultimately you start to uh, uh, hopefully uh, find a voice that's distinctive and and I think if you stick with it long enough you will yeah um when I when I was young in my early writing days I had a fascination with Edgar Allan Poe and I he was one of the very first that I, I worked to emulate. And I had this vision of like being the next Edgar Allan Poe, um, which, you know, you know, lofty goals, obviously, but um, in, in, in your, um, obviously I was not, I am not the next Edgar Allan Poe. We've, we've yeah. figured that out, but um, in, in, in your work through emulating other writers, was there ever one that you just like, so, so desperately loved that writer that you were like, I, I want to, I want to be this person or I want to write like this person. Um, I think early on, maybe Faulkner, he had just such an impact on me uh, reading him. And but then I realized that, you know, and this ties into my own voice. I knew that and, and I also really like Cormac McCarthy, but they both have these kind of long looping sentences. And I knew that to find my voice, I couldn't go that way. I mean, I mm -hmm. knew that in some, on some level, I'd always be imitating them. So what I did was, you know, my, my work tends to be much more concise. My, my sentences, I, I do have, you know, I don't have those long, you know, hundred words or very rarely. And, uh, but I think what I did retain from them was just that sense of just making the language, you know, trying to make every word count, every syllable count, and just be as vivid as possible. But yeah, I kind of went, you know, I think in a way they were almost overpowering. And it's interesting, whenever I'm really writing hard, I, I do not read Faulkner. I stay as far away as possible because I, as soon as I do, I start to notice I'm starting to, you know, my sentences are getting longer and, and more Faulknerian yeah. than Rashian. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah, it, it's it's interesting, but but at the same time, I continue to read a lot, and um, you know, I still 
learn. Uh, you know, there's certain books I go back to, certain writers that I feel like can teach me. Uh, Flannery O'Connor is one of the biggest. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, when I write short stories, uh, I think I continue. I don't necessarily emulate her, I don't think, except I try to have the concision uh, that her stories have. I mean, she she rarely, she just, she just doesn't make a mistake. I mean, you can't find <laughs> anything that, that doesn't work in her stories or, you know, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, you, uh, you've written uh, across a, a number of styles of writing and poetry is one of them. And um, what, what, what is it about poetry that you love and how does that influence your writing when you sit down to write these long novels? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wrote when in, in my late twenties, early thirties, I was writing probably more poetry than prose. You know, I was writing some short stories, but mainly writing poetry. And uh, yeah, I think what, it, I mean, it's, it's language at its purest. I mean, you're, it's like a, a, a finely cut diamond, uh, the best mm -hmm. poetry. I mean, you're, you're everything, the rhythm, the sounds, uh, all, all of that, the, the, the idea of, of just a few, you know, a few lines just conveying so much. And I found that, I, as I tell my students, I mean, I find that very valuable um, when we write prose that that we can learn from that and, and attempt to do it, uh, as, you know, to, to bring that kind of intensity toward the language that we uh we get out of poetry. And I tell my students uh, and I tell other writers who ask me if, uh, even if they do not write poetry, they should be reading it. I mean, because it's it's going to to make you more conscious of language. Uh, it's going to show you possibilities of language that you might not have come across. And um, I, I tend to be rather fanatical about it. Um, when I get into my late drafts of anything I write, it's all about sound, language. It's about stress. You know, do I want to stress, end on a stress syllable or do I want to use a... Um, anapestic uh, rhythm. I mean, it's insane. And it's not that the reader's going to stop and say, oh, look, Rash used an iambic line. But I, but your ear, I think a writer, I mean, a reader's ear is going to hear it. And mm -hmm. and I, I mean, what it, what it does instead of distracting, I mean, it, you know, a lot of writers I love, it's almost like you're entering a current, a flow. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of that is what the writer's doing word by word but also sentence by sentence you know mm -hmm. a longer sentence than a short you know the, all of that and um you know i think that that to me is the the place i that's what i enjoy most about writing is is in those last drafts where you know the 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 trauma of building, you know no not knowing if i was going to be able to finish this or not and i know i'm i'm there or close to, and and i get to kind of play with words and uh yeah that that's what delights me more than anything. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you said that about flow because it, it it is so often misunderstood as something that is just specific to the overall story. Like right. it, the story itself has to flow from plot point to plot point, but um, but you have to break it down line by line and word by word to be able to create that flow that yeah. that river that river that the reader is going to ride down as they journey through your story. Oh yeah, and and you know the writers I love the most are the ones I can pick up a book, you know, open up to any page and just start reading and uh, just luxuriate in the language. 
Um, yeah, yeah. You know, that's 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 fun. I'm actually doing that with a book right now. Um, oh, a cool. book that uh, I've, I've enjoyed before, but I'm just kind of back opening it up occasionally. And there are certain writers I do that with. I just kind yeah. of have the books around. Yeah, yeah. I, I have mine as well. So, yeah. well, um, Ron, as I said at the outset, I, I could easily do this for hours, um, but um, I, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I appreciate you making time to come on and, and to talk writing with me. And um, I, uh, I I don't think I'll really be able to adequately express um, what it means to to listen to you talk about the craft because um, you are a writer that I greatly admire. Well, thank you. That's very generous. And um, I just finished your book. So I, oh, well, I, I, the admiration goes both ways. So uh, uh, congratulations that. on that. And uh, I hope, uh, wish you and uh, your writers all best. Wish okay. All right. Thanks, Ron. Okay.